Radio. You could probably look up on the web, WRWL. Also joining with Bikers for Christ and some other organizations. They're having a, a day of prayer uh, today, and I think all around the country folks are having days of prayer. So you might want to join in with that sometime throughout the afternoon. Uh, when the Steelers and Browns start losing really bad, turn them off and go pray. <laughs> <clears throat> Hallelujah. And I think that was a, about it that, uh, that I had. Uh, Philippians, the second chapter. Uh, this is one of the um, crowning chapters uh, in Scripture. Uh, and it is also one of the most challenging and difficult passages in Scripture. So we are meeting up with a very confusing passage of Scripture, but yet probably the most profound passage in Scripture. It's been debated for centuries, uh, this whole concept of how Jesus came to us. In what form did he come? How did, how did it happen? And we are really, it's a very deep, deep uh, concept spiritually, very profound, almost holy ground when you talk about this type of thing. And we're continuing on with the concept of the mind of Christ, the mind of Christ in us and what that mind of Christ is like. And we're going to see a little bit of that today, and we'll probably continue on with it in, in the weeks ahead. And uh, so here's going to be our pattern of thought this morning. It's going to be a, a little bit different. We're going to start in verse 5, and we'll just read that one section, uh, first just the several verses there. And we are going to, to delve into more of the theology of the passage first. And then we'll talk about the application to our lives, because there is a lot of very deep, uh, profound theology in this passage. So, starting in verse 5 of Philippians 2, <clears throat> Paul says, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant, and coming in the likeness of men. And being found in the appearance of a, as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. And we could stop right there. He uses the word form twice. Form of God and form of a servant. Which is, you can probably already see the confusion that we're going to face. How can you be in the form of God and the form of a slave at the same time? But this is part of the confusion. So we're going to look first at who he is and what he did uh, for us. And we're going to try to talk about some of the concepts that have been discussed for 2,000 years. So everybody knows we'll settle it today, right? <laughs> but these are going to give you more questions than answers. These thoughts will give you something to ponder in your own life. And I think you'll be able to see the application in each of us as to who Jesus is. So let's just start with some basic points. And that first one would be Jesus was the form of God, but equal with God. He was the form of God, but he was equal with God. Now, we, we realize that when he's talking about the form of God, he's talking about when Jesus was on earth. So here's Jesus of Nazareth on earth, looks just like any of you men out there, calloused hands, carpenter, normal bag of, Joe bag of donuts, right? But yet he was in the form of God, equal. To God. We know from John, the first chapter, that in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God, and then a few verses later, the Word says, John says, and he 
became flesh. Well, wow. What, what does it mean to become something other than what you are? When you become something new, do you cease to be what you currently are, or, you do, be, or you, do you become more than you currently are? So, for instance, I could say, uh, I can, I'm going to become an airline pilot. I will still be me, David Rizzilli, but I'll be an airline pilot, which means I will grow into something that is more than what I am right now. So the problem we have here is that God could not become more than he is. He's God. So when he came to earth, he could not become less than he is, nor could he become more than he is. He had to stay the same. (laughs) Whether in the flesh or out of the flesh, he still has to remain all that he is. He cannot grow, but yet he was an infant, and then he was a teen, and then he was an adult. But yet he doesn't grow, he doesn't change. He was a dead man, but yet he was alive at the same time. And he said, no one takes my life from me. I lay down my life and I take it up again. So that means that he was, as far as I know, if you take up your own life when you're dead, that means you're still alive. So while he was yet dead, he was still alive. And he said in scripture, I am the Lord, I change not. See all the confusion? Everybody got it so far? (laughs) If you have it, please talk to me after church. Because I'm going to ask you about what stock to pick. So he was in the form of God, looked like God, but yet he was a man, but he was equal with God. So, So let's examine quickly what it was not. When Jesus came in the form of God, it was not a metamorphosis. It was not like a cocoon and a butterfly. It was not like God changed into something, because remember, God can't change. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So it wasn't a metamorphosis. It wasn't a subtraction. In other words, God did not become less than God when he became man. So it wasn't like he got rid of portions of himself and then suddenly became just this guy that was down on the earth. So it wasn't a subtraction. It wasn't a laying aside of his attributes because he still had all authority. He still was upholding the universe by the word of his power. At three years old, he was upholding the universe by the word of his power. How? The Trinity was still intact. When he was dead in the grave and buried, the Trinity was still in full effect. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit was still alive. So it was not a laying aside of his attributes. We'll get to that more in a moment. It was also not a deifying of human nature. He didn't come down and make Jesus more than a human. He was still just a human like you and me. Suffered all the same stuff. Touched by all the feeling of our infirmities, in all points tempted as we, yet without sin. So he was not some deified Buddha. He was just a man. So that's what it was not. You say, okay, well, what, what was this form of man? I see, I know this is going to be a little different message. Everybody's got to keep their thinking caps on. It's raining outside. There's nothing to do. So just think. What it was, well, we have to go back to John, the first chapter, and that helps us. The Word was made flesh 
and dwelled among us. The Greek word there is tabernacled. He built a tabernacle. He pitched his tent. It was the ultimate camping experience for God. He came down to where we were and he pitched his tent in us. That's the first part of the understanding. But even more than this, Hebrews, the 10th chapter, the writer adds to the Old Testament. Old Testament, Psalm chapter 40. The writer in the New Testament adds a passage to this. And he said, sacrifice and offering you did not desire. Burnt offering and sin offering you did not require. But lo, in the volume of the book, it is written of me, a body you have prepared for me. Now we get a little bit more of the picture. What happened? A body, a tent, a tabernacle, an earthen container, a fleshy pot was formed and God came and resided in it. That's how Jesus was God at the same time. Well, now we have the answer, but there's no way we have the, the, the comprehension of it, right? It's, it's impossible to comprehend it. We can't do it. So, so that's what happened. What happened is that God came into and resided in a fleshy tent. All of God and all of man at the same time now you figure it out. Would not the eternal God explode the body of Jesus? Would he not rip apart this tent as soon as he inhabited it? How could you put the entire Pacific Ocean in a glass of water? You can't do it. Something's got to give. That glass has got to break. But somehow, God did this. So he came in the form of man. He thought it not robbery to equal with God. And he put himself into this situation, into this tent, this tabernacle. Now here's where it gets even, even more interesting. That is, Paul says, he emptied himself. Now, the, <clears throat> the Greek word there is kenosis. And there was a theory that developed among theologians in the, in the 19th century that this, this, uh, they said that he emptied himself of his attributes. Well, that's not true. That can't be because if he got rid of his attributes, then he would not be God. So uh, someone had said rightly that the only thing empty with the theologians was the space between their ears. If he got rid of his attributes, then he could not be fully God and fully man at the same time. Each of us has attributes that make us who we are, right? So if, if I say uh, Marilyn Monroe, some of you don't even know who that is. Google it, girls. Marilyn Monroe. If you remove her beauty, she's no longer Marilyn Monroe, is she? She's certainly not a singer. <laughs> Happy birthday. To, sorry. Just terrible. If you don't know what that means, look it up too. She really wasn't an actress. She only had one attribute, right? So if, if, you, if you remove the voice from the opera singer Pavarotti... All you have left is a big Italian guy. His attribute is gone. If you remove the mind of Albert Einstein, you just have a kooky-looking guy with crazy hair. It's, it's no longer Einstein. So you can't remove attributes and still call the person the same thing. So you say, okay, then what did he empty himself of? Well, we believe, and you're just going to have to take my word for it and the word of others. He emptied himself of his glory, number one. He emptied himself of his privilege. He emptied himself of his reputation, taking upon himself the form of a servant. 
He relinquished. He gave up. He yielded his divine standing. He gave up the trophy and took last place. He was still the winner. He is still the king. But he willingly took off his kingship and became a servant. A silly, stupid example, because, again, we're trying to define the undefinable. We're trying to explain the unexplainable, and that's what happens when you preach expositorily. You get into passages of Scripture that you'd rather bypass, but we're here. So it would be the the same thing as if you were the most sought-after Major League Baseball player. You were the greatest pitcher to ever live. You are the Cy Young Award winner. You, everything is about you is just top of the class. And at a certain point, you give it all up. You give up your salary, and you go and you play in Little League, and you willingly reduce your abilities to match that of an 11-year-old. You could still throw a 95-mile-an-hour fastball if you want, but you're not going to. You could still hit any ball over the fence, but you're not going to. You're going to limit yourself to play with those 11-year-olds. You're still a Major League Baseball player, but you have chosen to limit yourself to the kids. Jesus gave up only the things that would make him special, and he kept the things needed to get the job done. Put it that way. So he could walk on the water, but yet he got thirsty. He could pass through a crowd that picked up stones to stone him and disappear from them. But yet he went and hung on a cross, yielded himself. So he emptied himself of everything that any, so that no one could say, oh, well, he was just special. That's how he did that. No, he was not special. He laid aside his special things and held. He, what's the old song say? He could have called 10,000 angels, but instead he died. He could have. Can you imagine? I, I've said this before. Can you imagine the discipline of that? Could you imagine right now if all of us received all power in the entire universe? Please don't imagine. It would be a mess. The discipline of the God man. So he came in this form and he emptied himself. But he didn't stop there, Paul says. No, 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 no. He didn't stop there. He not only emptied himself, Jesus also came as the lowest form of human. He came as a slave, a servant. Jesus did not come as an Egyptian foreign king coming from some great country. He didn't come as a Roman Caesar. He didn't even come as a Roman senator. He didn't even come as a Roman citizen. He he didn't come until until 1776 when America was formed and people could vote and they had citizens' rights and things like that. There was no Bill of Rights for Jesus when he came. He was a slave. He did not come in 2022 when he could hire a bunch of lawyers and become a protected minority, right? No, he came as a slave. A slave, totally powerless. The highest form became the lowest form. The most exalted became the least esteemed. The rod of God's justice became a bruised reed. The pillar of fire by night became a smoking flax. The strong tower became a blade of grass shaken by the wind. All that is strength became all that is weakness. He who possessed all things became poverty itself. He who sat on the throne spanning all of eternity had nowhere to lay his head. He who supervised time and space had to sleep 
because time ravaged his body and he got tired. He who ruled every name that is named, not only in this age, but in the age to come, submitted to a Pharisee. He made the womb, then he obeyed the womb. He who knew no sin became sin for us. My goodness, how far down could he go? And you, and you might say, well, that's it. That's, that, that's, that's it. Wow, that's, that's an, no, no. No, it doesn't stop there, does it? No. Paul goes on and says, not just that, but he experienced the lowest and worst form of death. Paul tells us that his obedience was so deep that it sent him to death, even the death of the cross. This, this, see, this, this was not just an ordinary death. You know, we read about it in history. You see, you see maybe the Mayans or the Incas or some tribe somewhere, and they'll sacrifice someone, and that person will become a highly esteemed person. All that, we sacrificed so-and-so, and they saved the crop that year. We sacrificed them to the gods. And this was not that kind of sacrifice. This, this was not just a death. This was a death on the cross. This was not a royal ceremony of sacrifice. This was hanging naked between two thieves. This was not adorned with a ceremonial robe. His robe was human spit. This was just not a golden crown on his brow, but a torn thorn crown that ripped his brow. This God went to the extremity of human experience. This God saw the sin and rebellion and said, by my own right arm, I will save them. This God said, I will prepare my own tabernacle. I will dwell with them. I will change their hearts. I will be their God and bring to us back to him. Wow. Who could think of such a plan other than God? Wow. Now, that brings us to us then. That brings us to us. Oh, good. I got to hurry up because kickoff is coming. I desperately need this God in the form of man. Why? Why do I need him so bad? Number one, because I could not go to him, he had to come to me. I could not go to him, he had to come to me. I don't need an Allah who will stand aloof in some far corner of heaven and issue commands and say, do not approach me yet, or when you fulfill this, then again, you can go ahead and approach me. I don't need that kind of God. I don't need a Buddha to instruct me on how to empty myself, to be filled with nothingness, so I can become self-actualized and merge with the conscious cause of consciousness. I don't need any of that. I don't need religion. I don't need do's and don'ts. I don't need to be an atheist and trust in myself, how miserable that would be. I need a God to come to me and lift me out of the mess that I'm in right now. I need a God that will gulf come and span the gulf between heaven and my health, my hell, because it's too deep and it's too wide. Sin separated, the breach was far too wide, but from the other side of the chasm, he still held me in his sight. He left heaven's throne so he could build a throne inside of me. I need him because I can't get to him. I need him to come to me. He has to come to me. 
That's number one. Number two, I, I need this, this God in the form of man because I am too arrogant. I'm too arrogant. I need a humble intercessor. <laughs> I know, you're all looking at me now. Aren't we hot stuff? Aren't we just hot stuff? Oh, we're just all that, aren't we? From day one in the garden, we had a better idea, didn't we? Oh, yeah, oh, yeah, no. No, God said, don't eat that. And we said, oh, well, you know what that means, eat that. Oh, yeah, we, we know, we know, don't we? Incredible. God could not possibly be right, could he? Could, he, could God possibly have a better idea for your life than you do? I need this humility of this God become flesh because I am simply too arrogant and I'm simply too much in control of my own life. I'm just talking about me, not you. I, I, I think I said this before. I was telling my brother-in-law one time, we were laughing. I was reading an online forum about something. I think it was auto repair or something like that. <clears throat> and um, this person ch uh, chirped in <laughs> and he said... Uh, <laughs> He said, I know, I wrote it down because it's just so wonderful. I know very little about this topic, but I would like to give my input. <laughs> Is that human or what? He gets the award for being the human that day. I, I don't know much about this, but I want to talk about it. Oh, yeah, I want to give my input because, you know, you know, Barney Fife, you know. How human is that? Well, how about you just shut up and let the people that know about it talk? No, 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 can't do that because we're all humans. Got to have our opinion in there. Got to have it. Can't stop it. We know nothing, but we know it all, don't we? Right? But thankfully for many of us, there does come a time when we give up and we say, Lord Jesus, I need you. I just discovered I can't do it myself. I, I just discovered I need somebody to come from the other side, across the chasm. I need somebody to come to where I am right now and be with me. And that's why we're so glad that Isaiah, the 50th chapter, 57th chapter, the word says, for thus says the high and lofty one who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy. I dwell in the high and holy place and with him who is of a contrite and humble spirit to revive the spirit of the humble and revive the heart of the contrite ones. I need him because I'm arrogant. I also need him because I know how to accumulate for self, and I need to learn his sacrifice. Hmm. You know, we have a threefold enemy, right? The world, the flesh, and the devil. Did you notice in that, if you're real good at your percentages, the world, the flesh, and the devil, did you notice that, that really only 33% of our problems are from the devil? the world and the flesh, right? Okay, well, if you don't like that, then, then how about this one? Paul said, it's, or John said, it's the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye, and the pride of life. That's 0% devil. I'm looking at you. I see Billy. I... And I don't see a devil anywhere. 
I need him, this God in the form of man, to help me get rid of me. And the more I get rid of me, the more blessing I have from him. The more I get rid of, rid of my appetites, I wish I knew it. I, I don't even think my Aunt Pauline knows it, but I don't even think you remember it, Mom. But my grandmother, Italian grandmother, used to have a saying, and in Italian she would say it, and, but in English it meant something to the effect of, the mouth is always open and ready to take in. It sounds really good in Italian, probably. Something about the boccia. In other words, I, this mouth is a human mouth. I'm always ready to accumulate. I'm always ready to eat. I'm always ready to put it in. And it seems like I never really think about giving it out. So I need to have him help me get rid of me. Now that's, that's the sacrifice part. And, and that's tough. That's tough for all of us. But Paul does close with two points, and I'll close in just a minute. He closes with two points, and he tells us how he died, as we had mentioned. He died on the cross, and here's the good thing. I need him because his death unites me with him when I unite myself with his death. The word says, I have been crucified with Christ, but it is no longer I, but Christ that lives in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by the Son of God who gave himself for me and loves me. <laughs> so with, with all of my warts and weaknesses, with all of my arrogance, with all of my appetites, with all of the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye, all of those things, I can rely on one thing, that if I died with him, I am also going to be resurrected with him. And the same power that I assumed in his death will be the same resurrection power that will bring me from the dead. Because Paul says in the book of Romans, for if I have been planted together in the likeness of his death, certainly I shall be also in in the likeness of his resurrection. I'm telling you what, my friend, it's all about Jesus this morning. It's his life, it's his death, it's his resurrection, it's his burial, it's his ascension, it's his throne that's in our hearts, it's his throne that's in the heavens, it's this God in the form of man that has done it all for us. You say, well, wait a minute, then, then what's the mind that he talks about? And, and that's very simple. It's just one simple thing. It's not, to, it's not to think great thoughts like he thought. We can't. It's not to pray great prayers. It's not to have the... Did you just go through the New Testament and read how he answered Pharisees. Wouldn't you love to answer that way? Wouldn't you love to be able to just freeze time? And when someone says something stupid, you, you freeze time, and then you go and you sit down and you try to write down the best answer possible. I could say this. Oh, no, no, no. This would be really good. I could say that. Oh, no, no, this would be really good. I could lay them out with this answer. We can't do that. Jesus did that like that. We don't have that mind. We never will have that mind. But you say, well, then what do we have? Paul said, let this mind be in you. And the thing he spoke about the most was humility. Humility. So to make it simple, here's the simple mind of Jesus. Humble yourself under his hand, and he'll exalt you when he needs you. Let God be God. Let go and let God. Let it all go. Money, fortune, fame, possessions, loved ones, spouses, children. Let it all go. Give it to him. <laughs> and he will exalt in his time. I'm glad this morning, it sounds terrible, I'm glad that I can be dead in Jesus this morning.
that's the best place for you and I to be. Pastor Brandon, you can come. That's the best place for you and I to be. Dead in Christ. I had a, a friend in Bible school who was a former Catholic. And he said whenever somebody would say that they were a good Catholic, he would always say, and please understand, let me finish the whole sentence. He would always say, the only good Catholic is a dead Catholic. Dead in Christ. The only good Baptist is a dead Baptist. Dead in Christ. The only good member of Emmanuel is a dead member of Emmanuel. Dead in Christ. The only good Pentecostal is a dead Pentecostal. Dead in Christ. Because when I, when I assume his death in my life through humility, through a broken and a contrite heart, when I assume that death, he says, good, now I can get the resurrection underway. <laughs> and he will raise up in you things that you never thought were there. He will assimilate into your life things that you never thought possible. He will bring to you things that you never thought could come to you. He will raise you up into a standard of living that you never thought you could ever have. It all comes when we die with him and humbly let that mind be in us. I ask Pastor Brandon to just come and let's just sing one last song. Can we stand together? Worthy of it all.